1: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Dirty Steel Toe Boots, the Ogletree Deacons osha Focus podcast. Uh, this is Philip Russell, your host. I'm a shareholder in the firm in the Tampa office uh, with a national practice representing employers and all things OSHA and workplace safety and health. Uh, it's been a couple of months since I've had a chance to, uh, to record a podcast, so I appreciate your patience and some of you, the persistence of asking for the next episode. So uh, it's been exciting to see how well it's been received uh, to have these conversations with some colleagues and with some clients and some other folks in the world of workplace safety and health and talk about uh, hot issues uh, involving OSHA. In fact, the latest hot issue we spoke about regarding OSHA was uh, the heat illness uh, initiative, the national emphasis program for OSHA. And uh, that conversation was with Karen Tina, one of our partners, from our Sacramento, California office, so be sure to look it up on the last episode. We're going to get back involved here and do some more recordings. I've got some uh, interesting guests coming up. Starting with today, my uh, my good friend Lori Baggett, who is in-house counsel at Pods Enterprises. So, Lori, say
2: hi. Hi, thanks for having me, Philip. I
1: hey, am excited to have you on board today. We have uh, we've got quite the background ourselves. Uh, I think you and I first met as opposing counsel in a case about what fifteen years ago.
2: We did, we did. I forgot about that.
1: <laughs> it was, uh, it was actually not even an OSHA case, I recall. But it turns out that both of us, uh, had a pathway that led us down the road to uh, to do a lot of OSHA work. And so uh, the uh, the serendipity of that um, of that moment uh, has not been lost on me. That we have uh, formed a, a good working friendship uh, throughout being opposing counsel and then being good referral partners whenever. You and I would have to get someone else involved in an OSHA matter because of a conflict. Uh, you were you were my go-to call.
2: Exactly, exactly. A testament to the fact that just because you are opposing counsel doesn't mean you have to be enemies.
1: <laughs> no, exactly. Or really, kind to suggests you know even now I don't I don't ever talk again talk anymore about fighting OSHA. I think what we do here is to hold them accountable to the law. Similar thing. They, they they're focused on workplace safety and health. So are we. Very true. So let, let's talk a little bit about your background. So uh, law school, what law firms, uh, practice areas, a little bit about your background just so the audience gets to know you a little better.
2: Sure. So I came down to the Tampa Bay area uh, and went to law school at Stetson, uh, which is in the St. Petersburg, Gulfport, Florida area, as you know, and, and uh, ended up liking the Tampa Bay area. I liked it a lot. Um, ended up staying. I did a federal clerkship on the 11th Circuit. And um, stayed there for almost 18 years um, and, you know, matriculated from associate up to shareholder and did a lot of different leadership things. I was the co-chair of the, the women's group there, Women's Initiative Network, it was called at the time. Did that for several years, was the Tampa office hiring chair and then um, finished up my time as the Tampa office managing shareholder. Um, so that was a big, a big feather in the cap and a big honor of my career.
1: Well, indeed. And I remember when I saw you get that position, I was so excited for you, but I think it was soon followed by another honor. I, if I recall right, the Tampa Bay Business Journal named you as a top 100 influential business leaders in Tampa Bay. Is that right?
2: They did. That was a big one. Wow. I, I hadn't forgotten about it, but thanks for bringing that one back up. It was It was great. What a, what a huge honor. Um, well,
1: that, that was one of those, I know her moments. I know her, I know her. <laughs>
2: So true. So true. It was so interesting to have people that I hadn't heard from in a while. Some people still did the old fashioned, like would clip it out of the paper and mail it to me you know, type things. Um, the snail mail that we don't hardly get anymore other than uh, junk mail. So that was that was another big honor. So yeah. But yeah, like you said, kind of in the way that we met, I started out doing a lot of employment law litigation, just your bread and butter and then started doing some construction law sticks and bricks. And so the nice marriage of those for me was the, um, the workplace safety and health. And interestingly, our careers kind of dovetailed around the same times as we both were getting into that. Um, and that's kind of how, um, I ended up in this, in this area. So that was my, my big buckets were, uh, employment law, the construction and then OSHA workplace safety and health. Well, but at some point you
1: said, uh, you're going to go in-house and you, indeed you did with, uh, with Pods Enterprises. Now, I think it's been about a year and a half or so, something like that.
2: Yep. Just, yeah, about a year and a half. I did. I did. And, you know, I wasn't really looking for that. Um, I'd always, well, let me say, I'd always been very intrigued by and wanted to try the in-house counsel role. I thought it was very interesting when we would, you know, as outside counsel, you and I would, would obviously work closely with in-house counsel and how close they were to the business and being the true advisor, which you know we were in our role as well, and I, it just always intrigued me, and I thought it would be very interesting to have one client um, that you're advising on a on a day to day basis, as opposed to the many many clients um, that you have, Philip, as outside counsel, and so. Um, I had done some, some legal work for pods over the years. And so when this opportunity came up and and they contacted me about it and I said, well, let's just talk and see what that would look like. And so it was, it was intriguing to me because it it really let me marry up a lot of those buckets that I talked about in terms of my experience, right? I I do a lot of employment law and work closely with our HR uh, business partners. And then we have drivers. So the The pods employee that most um, residential customers will see, should they rent one of our containers, you know, those drivers, it's a federally regulated aspect of our business. And so that compliance work with the Department of Transportation, whether it be federal or the various state ones, that's a lot of the compliance work that I do, and, and a lot of the, the OSHA workplace safety as well. So we have some, some equipment maintenance technicians who work on um, the Podzilla, which is what that hydraulic lift is called, um, that would bring the container to your house if you rent one. Um, so there's a lot of workplace safety things in there. And so I, I partner a lot with that part of the business as well, making sure that um, all of our safety standards are up, up to regulation.
1: You said a couple of things to unpack there is you said you only have one client now, but but as an in-house lawyer, don't you have various departments that you work with and, and are they multiple? Do you consider them to be multiple clients or is it still just one?
2: No, I do. I do. So in that respect, yes, we all are working for pods, <laughs> the pods client, right? But yes, no, you're, you're absolutely correct. There's, there's marketing, there's commercial, there's our, we have a, a strategization group that, that is new. Um, and, and ours is called corporate operations. So that's the corp ops group where the drivers are housed. Um, so yes, a lot of various business partners within pods um, but we all are kind of in the same boat for Pods. Um, but yes, a lot of different uh, business partners that I service and help um, at any, any given day now, instead of it being a different client per se that's calling, it's a different business partner of Pods who has an interesting issue come up with a lease or with some environmental storage issue or, you know, a customer issue on our, our uh, website or something like that. So it's a lot of different issues, um, but all still dealing with the Pods brand.
1: Well, well, so that's an interesting point here that you, you talk about all these various areas in which you're expected to advise your client on, but let's talk about the area of OSHA. So I think, in fact, I know this is true. There are not that many outside counsel OSHA lawyers that do what I do and what used to do in that role. But I think there are even fewer, fact, dramatically fewer in-house lawyers with the kind of OSHA experience that you have. In fact, you are one of only three that come to mind right now. And I'm sure there are more, but the first three come to mind. You're among them. So how has that helped you in trying to be a good advisor, be a good counselor, be a good internal advocate for safety at PODs?
2: You know, that's an interesting question. I think it has helped um, as Pods has grown very much from a a startup, um, 1998. I think it is that we got started in Clearwater, um, and we've grown to be a you know a a national even international brand, um, and so that is that growth has been very rapid, um, and it has been just just quick, um, and and large scale. And so as we do that, and different um, franchises come back into the fold. I think it has been particularly helpful for me to be able to see around the corners, if you will, in the safety space, whereas maybe we haven't had that big reach on a safety scale before, if you will, if that makes sense. So, so when we're bringing back in a franchise that has been operating, you know, under the pre- pods flag, but still its own entity, do you know, running operations as it saw fit. Um, now bringing them back into the fold from a safety perspective, I'm able to kind of help weigh in and um, help kind of operationalize, if that's a technical word, um, initiatives that we're doing on a broader scale. So whereas if it's, you know, had been within the corporate reach that was only, you know, 50 locations and now we're up to 60 now. And so thinking about how do we scale up on that and what are the things that now, whereas before maybe we didn't, you know, this initiative wasn't something we wanted to, you know, get outside vendor to help weigh in on. Maybe now that we're getting to this size, you know, and such a scale and what we're doing, maybe now it's time to kind of level up and think about our safety on a on a, a broader scale. So I think that kind of vision of seeing what can start to happen when you're not able to kind of reach out and touch everybody super quickly because now you have, you know, 1200, 1300, 1400 drivers all over the country. And even time of day, if you think about it with the West Coast versus the East Coast, you know, when we're shutting down over here on the, on the East Coast, they're still going on the West Coast. So operationally, what types of things do we need to still have available because drivers are still working, incidents could happen, things could come up. Um, I think my kind of safety mindset about that kind of helps us keep those things front and center um, to make sure everybody's thinking about those things and assessing how to handle them.
1: Now, wait a minute. I'm told that you go in-house to just relax and coast <laughs> and have less to do. Is that not true?
2: Totally false. <laughs> you know, Oftentimes if I want to meet, meet friends for happy hour, I'm like, uh, define happy hour guys. Cause I'm going to be working until about six ish. So, um, yeah, no, it, it is, it's interesting, right? Because it's, it is still just as intense, um, you know, just as interesting, a lot of um, cutting edge issues, but just in a different way, you know, you are much more of a business advisor and a business partner and not just, you know research and writing not that that's all that you do either philip but still being that counselor um which is what i love about what attorneys do you know the counseling and the advice uh, but it's just kind of on a deeper level and and able to again the see around the corners and and remember things and think about um, things that we're looking at that might not affect us right now, but but our legal department will keep them in our back pocket and think about them because we know what's probably coming next. <laughs> you know, is, is next they're going to want to do XYZ and there's you know, I've seen those Ogletree alerts that are telling me about some privacy law that's coming out in such and such state. and So we need to be thinking about that because we just acquired back a franchise in that state. We haven't been there in that state before so nobody's had to think about that. So let me call my Ogletree lawyers and see what that's all about.
1: Well, thank Thanks for the shameless plug that was not prompted. (laughs) You touched on something that I think that's really important for for folks, and I know that our in-house counsel listeners will understand this, that you have a bigger picture view than I as outside counsel ever could possibly have. I get retained usually, you know, okay, there's something, a tragedy just struck. There's been a loss of life or or catastrophic injury or illness at a job site, and uh, it's boots on the ground and, uh, and go and deal with the crisis. There, that's one piece of the pie. Another piece for me is a bit of the advice and counseling, but frankly, it's a smaller piece of the pie is outside counsel. It sounds like your piece of the pie is probably the inverse of what I've got. You've got a bigger, not only bigger picture currently, but bigger picture into the future. Did, did I summarize that right?
2: I think so that's that's really a good summary you know and and when I was getting ready to transition into this role I took some time off and I talked to a lot of friends who had had made the transition um to kind of get those those kind of tidbits and what do you wish you knew and and those were the kind of things um exactly what you hit on that they they um suggested that I try to start thinking about and becoming right that advisor Th- there's not a whole lot that my business partners are going to come to me about that is truly black and white illegal, right? Like it's, you know, there there are some things, but for the most part, you know, the question is, is just, you know, can I do this? And nine, eh, maybe seven or eight times out of 10, it's yes, but I would caution you about, and then, you know, it's the advice, right? So let them know that these are the kinds of things that if you do that can come into play, right? And that's the things that I like to, that's the value that I can add to help them think about the the decisions that we're making and what, what might it bring to bear versus if we made this decision, then we wouldn't have to worry about these things. Probably still going to be these other things, but maybe we're not as worried about that. Um, so I, I like kind of understanding the business on a deeper level to help them um, understand where I'm coming from when I see the risk and the potential things that I want to keep us away from to keep our keep us within the guardrails, rails. Right? That's how I tend to think about what I'm what I'm trying to help us do to be very profitable, run our business, service our customers, and keep the guardrails up to make sure that all those things are done um, as we would want them to be. There's a certain amount of risk in everything that you do, right? But we want to limit it, um, and I want to allow the business to operate and and be prosperous and service our customers, but keep those guardrails up so. That we uh, we do it all the right way.
1: So, as I understand it, you can't be the department of no for the most part. You need to be the department of how.
2: Exactly, that's a good way to put it.
1: <laughs> okay.
2: all right. So, let, let's.
1: Some of the listeners that, that that like to tune into the podcast or follow what I put up on LinkedIn are safety professionals. Um, a lot of them are in-house safety professionals that will work as a safety director or vice president of. EHS at a company, and there's also the folks that are outside, but let's talk about those inside safety professionals for a moment. I know you've got some folks there at, at POD you're working with, but what advice might you have for those safety professionals in companies about how best to work with you or their own in-house counsel departments? What, what's something you might advise them on how to do that?
2: I think one of the best things I'm very glad that I did, and several people had suggested it to me and, and my 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 boss, my general counsel was all on board and was already planning it even before I arrived is to get proximate to what you're going to be dealing with, right? So I, of course, did a ride-along with our driver, so I could see on a day-to-day basis What are they dealing with? You know, how are they having to um, deal with when they first arrive at work, when they're doing their pre-trips, they're checking their their truck and their equipment, making sure everything's ready to go, getting their route sheets, you know, all the things that they're going through on a day-to-day basis so that it's not just some thing I'm reading about and, and someone's asking me a question about. I have a frame of reference to think about the implications. You know, if we're, as you know, in the world of safety, suggesting things to them and I don't have any frame of reference for how that's going to play out in their day-to-day job duties, then there's a disconnect and I'm probably not serving them in the best way that I can. And so I think that's one thing that, you know, to the extent you can, you know, spend some time in the business um, to see what it is that they're actually having to do on a day-to-day basis. And then even for me, even just maybe attending, um, you know, our safety department has has meetings, you know, I can always ask to attend one, again, to see what kinds of issues are they seeing, what are they talking about, what questions do they have, um, so that I'm not just this, you know, scary legal person out there who, you know, if, if I call them, it's it's a bad thing, because you know, most of the time it's just wanting them to educate me on how does something work. Um, and so I think that those types of visits and, and getting a little more proximate to my business partners. Um, I think his in-house counsel has really helped me be more effective um, at a quicker pace um, in, in serving my my customers.
1: All right. Well I gotta know this. Hopefully it's not too personal, but I gotta know this. You went in-house, but mm-hmm. are those steel toe boots still dirty?
2: They are, they're probably not as dirty as they used to be. I know you, like me, Philip, that go bag that we have, you know, that you, you know, you got to constantly take the shoes off, wipe them off from the last place you were, and make sure your your vest is still in there and your hat and your glasses and your earplugs. So I don't get to get out um, as much as I would have liked. I certainly had a bit of a, of a slowdown with the visits with uh, the pandemic and COVID-19, but as we get back to somewhat of our new normal, I'm looking forward to getting to visit some more of our locations and, and get my steel toe boots dirty again.
1: Keep them dirty, my friend. That's how you stay, uh, you stay fresh in this business. So uh, on another topic uh, or the uh, another group of our listeners, our are, are other in-house counsel, but they may not have as much OSU experience as you do. Maybe they came from construction or contracts world or, uh, or maybe employment world uh, and maybe know a little bit about those areas from their outside counsel before they went inside or in-house. What's some advice that you might share with those in-house attorneys who are now thrust upon them. They have to handle OSHA matters or manage outside counsel, but they don't have the experience. Any advice for them?
2: I think um, even as I was getting a little deeper into, um, and gosh, you know, Philip, as we said, it's been 10 years ago as we started really getting deeper into this, but I immediately went to um, the ABA And the occupational uh, safety and health um, committee that that we have there, you know, they always do the the primer kind of the introductory um, level information, which is just great. And I really focused on there, you know, meeting people. It's it's a great group in that there's there's plaintiff side, there's defense lawyers, and there's the government lawyers, right? So you can really hear a lot about what's going on in the space. Um, I found that to be a great resource um, to get started. And then of course all the papers and the things that they put out even just to support the, the midwinter meeting. But I think there's a lot of uh, material out there. I think you do have to think about what your industry is and the space that you're occupying and then just start trying to dig in and get that, that broad-based understanding of workplace safety and then start to hone it in on what your industry is. And um, I think that the ABA group is a great start for that.
1: Yeah, f- 100% agree with you on that. I love going to that, uh, that every year. Uh, sh- shameless Ogletree plug here. We also have an annual safety symposium this year. It's December 7th, 8th, and 9th in Tampa, Florida. So uh, I hope to see you at our symposium this year, my friend.
2: Great location. Yep. I'm looking forward to it.
1: Yeah, it's actually uh, very excited to be at the Tampa Marriott Waterside. So uh, you guys can Google the Ogle Tree Symposium, safety symposium, and you'll find uh, find what you need there. I think the agenda will be done soon. Thanks for the conversation on these things. Um, There's another topic I know that's very important to you. I wanted to conclude with uh, is uh, very important, which is the diversity, equity and inclusion in the legal profession. Why is that such an important issue to you personally?
2: I've said this so many times um, in my time, even just at pods, is that I firmly believe that every day people get up and they get dressed and they go to work and everybody wants to do a great job, right? Nobody wants to um, be marginalized or not be um, recognized for what they're bringing to the table. And so when I think about um, the diversity, equity, and inclusion space, particularly in the legal profession, it's similar to that, right? Like we all want to be recognized for the hard work that we're putting in, for the thoughts that we're bringing, the creativity, everything that we can contribute in that space and not to be marginalized or otherized or recognized solely based on um, inherent characteristics, right? Um, and so for me having, you know, obviously I'm an African-American woman. And so that's a battle that I've had to fight for a long time. And I'm glad that there are more conversations taking place um, now about that and hopefully starting to peel away and chip away at some of the barriers that that may have existed. Um, But I think it's important to allow people to know that they are coming to work and, and being able to bring their full self and contribute just like everyone else, and it makes the business stronger. Um, it helps you serve clients better, and then everybody's more fulfilled. So I think that's, you know, that's what everybody wants. They want to go to work, do a great job, put in a good day's work, make a make an honest wage, um, and then get back home to their families. And so I think, kind of the the more intentional conversations about that that we can have, then I think it's it's going to make us make the world a better place. So that's my optimistic view of everything.
1: Well, and, and I appreciate that very much. and And you know, you and I've been friends for a long time, and and I know the quality of your legal work, but I, I got to tell you, I've never thought of you as an, as an outstanding African American female lawyer. I just think okay. of you as an outstanding lawyer.
2: Absolutely. Thank you for that. And and that that means the world, right? It's, that's what we all want, right? You just want to know that you're recognized for the profession, the years that you've put in, the skills that you have, um, and that's it. And um, I think that's why it's important for us to have conversations. If there's anything that's that's impeding that or not allowing people to do that, then we got to talk about it and and make changes and make it better. It's just like, you know, when I thought about us having this conversation today, Philip, I, I thought to myself, you know, change is uncomfortable, you know, initially for anybody, right? When we first, um, when, 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 uh, seatbelts became the law, right? I'm sure everybody was inconvenienced and thought, oh gosh, we got to do this now. Like they are going to be a ticket for that. But we now, you know, we don't even think about it. We have things dinging at us and we do it because we know it makes us safer. And so it was uncomfortable at first, but now it's, it's just a part of life and, and we're better for it. So that's kind of how I feel about this. It's, it's, a. Uh, Right now, we may be a little bit uncomfortable if the conversations are different, but, you know, we just have to talk it out and get through it and and recognize where we can be better and make a difference. And then I think it's going to make us all stronger and better.
1: Well, I was going to ask you for some advice, but I think you just delivered it, Uh, (laughs) uh, which is, you know, what I was going to ask is, you know, how how can I and, and others who are not diverse, you know, better understand and contribute in these areas?
2: Yep and and that's exactly what I think it is it's it is um somewhat uncomfortable to have the conversations and obviously you know should you approach a stranger in the grocery store about it no you want you know you have contacts and people that you know you know you and I have had conversations and and I think everyone has to come to those with an open mind, right? You can't, people have different views and those should all be accepted and and honored and allowed to, to be discussed. And it doesn't mean that anybody's a bad person, right? And so the ability to know that you can question things and just genuinely ask because you don't know, and then have a dialogue about something. I think that's, that's, I think the most important thing, if we get proximate to those things, that's usually when people are able to open up their minds and conceive things a little differently um, and, and conceive them differently outwardly and inwardly, right? Think about what, um, you know, for me, millennials um, were a difficult thing for me to adjust to. <laughs> they are a different breed. Um, they, they approach the world differently. You know, we would, I would show up at, this was all pre-pandemic at, at events and um, they would have taken, you know, an Uber in Tampa. And to me, Uber was something that I would use when I went to Atlanta or DC or somewhere where I didn't have my car. I couldn't conceptualize, why are you taking an Uber here in town? But they were just very conscious of, well, I want to have a couple of drinks here, Lori. And so I don't want to have to worry about, you know, it was just a different way that they approached life. Things had been available to them for a different amount of time. You know, they were pretty much born with phones and computers in their hands. And, you know, my age cohort you know, those came later in life for us. So again, just something I had to acknowledge that I needed to open up my mind and think a little differently about. And just because they were different, didn't mean they were really that much different than me, their life experiences were just different. So I think that's what I would encourage everybody to do is just to open up your mind and and accept a little more conversation and different thought. And uh, then I think we'll all get along just fine.
1: Yeah, well, and and if our friendship is a good illustration of that, maybe we can maybe we can set a few examples. So
2: there you go. Uh,
1: it uh, well, it's been a lot of fun today, Lori. I appreciate you so much and uh, in contributing today. I know that our listeners uh, are going to be uh, grateful for your time today. Um, we are uh, continuing, as I said, uh, folks, to get back into uh, get back into doing some recordings here. One of our next guests coming up is going to be. Uh, a man who has taken on a mission to address uh, death by suicide in the construction industry. Uh, There's a good friend named Vince Cefeli and he has been on a mission and I'm excited about you all hearing him. So tune in, follow us uh, on, um, on the Ogletree podcast. Uh, I think that we're, uh, in fact, we're on all the platforms, but be sure to follow along on that. Lori, my friend, thank you so much. I appreciate your time today and all of your insights and perspectives Thank you you so much
2: for having me, Philip. I really appreciate it. This is a great, um, great, uh, offering that you have, and I'm glad I could be a part of it.
1: All right. Thank you, my friend. Bye. Bye.
2: All right. Take care.
0: Thank you for joining us on the Ogletree Deacons podcast. You can subscribe to our podcasts on Apple podcasts or through your favorite podcast service please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. And remember, the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as legal advice.